And we're really glad you're here. We're thrilled you can celebrate this Christmas with us. We desire for you to experience, as we've been talking about this, the greatest present is that we live with the greatest presence and we make room for Him in our hearts. And that's, in a sense, what Christmas is about, this incredible potential of God that is ours. Every August, there's a church in the northern suburbs or the western suburbs of Chicago that uh, runs what they call a Global Leadership Summit event. And they started this as a church and they brought people from leaders from the, around the U.S. And, and then eventually they began to have satellites kind of sites throughout the U.S. and then through Canada, North America. And now they're in, they do it every August, and now they're in, in, in Asia. They were in the Philippines and China and Burma and Vietnam, and, and they um, have been in other areas of Europe. And they have this two-day or so two day conference or so where they actually satellite it into places. Well, they were doing one in Africa now and, and started some of these sites there. And, and they were sharing some of the reports of what happened and in a recent letter that they had shared some of the stories from this last August, this says that one of them reveals how God provides, how his potential proceeds, often precedes the needs. The fact that God is potentially available to us. Sometimes preparing things before we'd ever imagine it, which is what Christmas is all about. So from one of the leaders from Rwanda that is writing and, and they, they were sharing about their experience and they said it was a whirlwind preparation leading right up to the last five minutes of the event. And we found that we were missing some pieces of equipment needed to run everything. And it was a crisis experience. We were expecting 365 guests the next day. So they're trying to do a dry run. They're trying to get ready from 365 coming. And the thing about it from Rwanda when they come, it's not that they're coming by cars. They actually will walk days to get there. They're expecting this conference, and so they were in this kind of crisis situation. And he writes, as we frantically worked to the middle of the night to try and find a solution to the problem. The youth pastor of our church remembered a cabinet was sitting, this cabinet that was sitting in the foyer that had been sent by a church from the U.S. five years ago. He looked inside, and then he called over the producer of the whole site and event, and who looked at the contents and found all the equipment that they were missing. The church had not known what any of these pieces of equipment were for when they first received the cabinet. It just sat there for five years. And this Rwandan leader, with a sense of amazement, what we've been talking about over these last few Sundays is the fact that sometimes God shows up and you just go, Wow! Glory to God, nice. God's the greatest. He's amazing. He says... And concludes by saying, imagine God provided for this event in Rwanda five years before it happened. What a blessing. God moved in a mighty way through all who attended that day. Christmas, which we celebrate, celebrates this truth that I want you to hear today. The potential is in the present. You go, well, what does that mean? The potential is in the present. In a baby, the fullness of God was waiting to be fully revealed. And they celebrated, though. They celebrated. Babies are great, aren't they? Wonderful. You look at them and you go, oh, they're just nice. Babies in themselves are good. But they were celebrating not just the baby. They were also celebrating what they knew would be. People saw a baby. And yet in it, they saw a Savior. And they celebrated 
The potential of all God. What I want you to recognize is this. The potential of God, his kingdom, as, as, as we heard, is here in Jesus. He is available. He's all around us. Jesus said the kingdom is here. I mean, it's just like right here. And you can tap into it. You can know the potential of God. You can know God in your life as you open your heart to Him. He can begin to move in and begin to, to work in your character and your being and lead you into all that He has planned for so that you can release all that God has potentially wired in you. This Christmas, it's my hope that you will know that the greatest present is the greatest presence. The presence of God right now. Right where you're at. Whatever situation you're in, the greatest present in that situation is that God is present with you. So know this, the potential of of the fullness of God is present with you. So this truth is seen throughout the Christmas story. When you look at the Christmas story, you can you can follow it all the way through. There's Mary and then there's Joseph and the shepherd and the wise men. Did you know that even Herod himself acknowledges this? He realized the incredible potential in this baby that is born so much so that at a certain point when those wise men came through afterwards, he went ahead to that whole area where he thought this child was and had all the kids slaughtered because he was afraid that this little potential being would someday threaten his throne. He wanted his kingdom and no one else to move into it. The story of Simeon, I I like the story of Simeon, which is followed by Anna. But Simeon is given a promise with faith. He learns to, to, to live believing that the word that has been given to him would someday be fulfilled. We're told in Luke chapter two, verses 25 and 26, that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the help of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He was given a word. He was given a promise. In that promise was all kinds of potential. And so one day, led by the Spirit, this word given him years before, the word becomes flesh in a sense before his eyes. This promise becomes fulfilled. The potential that had been in his heart through just a word is now reality. But he believed it until it became true. So we read in verse 27, just a verse later, as the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon, a good man, a man who lived in prayerful expectancy of the help of Israel, took him into his arms and blessed God. And this is what he said, with my own eyes, I have seen your salvation. It's now in the open for everyone to see. Simeon sees a baby, but yet he sees a savior. He's looking at a baby. He's looking at a little being wrapped with Potential yet to someday be realized. And with faith, he celebrates. Now, what will be someday? The potential is in the present. It is possible for you this Christmas, even if you're in a bad place, and you may not like it, but to know that the potential, because God is present with you, is there. And that potential is yet to be realized And it may be that you just with this word have to stay like Simeon in time until God comes to the place where he fulfills it. Hard on the heels of Simeon's celebration of God's saving presence in this baby comes Anna the prophetess. She's just a, just a few verses down in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Year after year, she's been believing and trusting. She's been also aware of the fact that God is going to move. She's been hearing from him. So Anna the prophet, we're told, it was also there a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. 
And she was by now a very old woman. And she had been married seven years and a widow for 84. I wonder if she felt lonely. I have a, an aunt on my wife's side who, who has been single all her life. And she's 94, is that right? And we call her and we say, how are you doing? And she always goes, remarkably well. She just celebrates the potential of God. And so here's this lady. She's 84. She never left the temple area, worshiping night and day with her fastings and prayer. And at the very time Simeon was praying, isn't that kind of interesting? God, at the very time she shows up, she just happens to show up. Is that coincidence or providence? And she broke into an anthem of praise to God and talked about the child. Holds up to them and to all who were waiting expectantly for the redemption of Jerusalem. And you got to go, wait a second. She's just seeing a baby. She's praising God for a baby. She's just holding an infant, but she knows yet in her heart that she is holding the infinite God in flesh. Full of all the potential. The kingdom has now made its entrance into the world. And all that comes with the kingdom will soon be unveiled. And it's being unveiled in our lives and will be fully someday. So obviously the helpless little infant that she's holding is freeing no one. But someday the man Jesus would. And Anna's praising God now for what will someday be. And we celebrate in a sense this day for what is because we know by faith what will be. Both Simeon and Anna celebrated as if the salvation had occurred and the redemption had been won. They rejoiced in a promise that was pregnant with God's ability to do what He would, said He would do. And that, I, I, I love that thought. Even though I wrote it, I love it. Anyway, they rejoiced in a promise that was pregnant with God's ability to do what He said He would do. If God said He's going to, because of what He did on the cross, remove all your sins, it is pregnant with the promise, whether you feel it or not, it's gone. If God says that He will be there for you, He will provide, it's pregnant with the promise He will do what He said He will do. I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life this Christmas Eve, but it's wrapped with the present, and the greatest present is the presence of God. Celebrate. The potential is in the present. So my question is for you to just think through. Do you believe God is here? Do you believe that God is potential in the present moment right where you're at? And He's just calling you to this. This is what He's calling you to. Faith. 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 Trust releases the presence. Celebration. The praise that you give to God begins to fill your lungs with His fullness. An angel comes to Mary one day. Who knows whether she's what really she's doing. I mean, she could be doing chores and singing songs to God. Sometimes I get the Cinderella kind of picture in my mind. Or maybe she's on her knees and she's dreaming of what she might be. God, how you might use me. Or she's on a walk looking at the wonder of God's creation. And no matter what, an angel shows up and the angel shows up and appears to her and gives her some promises. And what's interesting is, in those promises, as I was studying it this week, there's seven promises. Two given to Mary, five regarding the Savior. And I think it's interesting because whenever God gives this number seven in Scripture, it means the fullness, the completeness. What He has started in potential will fully be realized. And so you see this Scripture says, You will conceive and you will give birth to a son. To those two to Mary. You are to call Him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. 
He will be given the throne by God of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Those are seven promises of will be. And he says to Mary, live as if what is will be. And Mary bears, here's a promise. She hears a promise pregnant with God's power to do all that he said he would do for her. And all these promises that she receives are yet to be fulfilled. And yet what I find is interesting, just a few verses down, Mary, in faith, is bursting out in celebration and song, calling out to God, thank you for raising me from my humble estate. And she, in just a few moments, in a few days, is going to have her husband coming before and going, you what? You're what? And people beginning to mock and she'll go through difficult times. But she holds on to this promise because she knows in the promise it will fully be realized. And she just trusts and she moves into faith. The potential is present, in your presence, right now, because God's here. He's moving and will move in your situation. Her heart and her hands are open. Her only question to God is really a rather natural one. He, she just says, how, how will this be? It's really understandable. She says, how will this be, Mary? Asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And she's thinking in her mind, a pretty good question. Virgins just don't have babies, do they? But, you know, Mary's not doubting God's ability. What she's really asking is about the logistics. How is this going to happen? And so God goes, this is God's answer. The, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. Or as the older NIV, New International Version says, for nothing is impossible with God. And I love Mary's response. It's simply... Oh, okay. I don't think she has any idea of the logistics any more than she did before that. I don't get it in her mind, but I believe you. I'm making room in my heart for you. I'm going to trust you in this moment for what is, knowing it will be. Her response brought the potential to life when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And moments later, she celebrates. Today we celebrate a baby with all this potential. You know, God never needs much, does he? What seems so small in God's hands has surprisingly great potential. And we see this all the time in ordinary things in life, and yet we sometimes have trouble understanding with regard to faith. We look at a seed and we go, oh yeah, that seed, you look at that seed, you plant in the ground, you plant that ground. If you do that in the spring with a tomato plant, before you know, you know, how many of you get a lot of seeds and you end up with too many tomatoes, right? That kind of thing. Seeds have a lot of potential in them. We look at a baby, we see a baby, you look at a baby and you go, wow, there's incredible potential yet to be realized. Hold out your hand for a second. Everybody just, would you do this for me for just say, hold out your hand and look at your hand. You see in your hand, you probably can't see it because there's just all kinds of little atoms. Okay, you don't quit trying to look, you won't find them. There's little atoms in your hand. In fact, what is really interesting, did you know that if you take the right kind of atom with the right kind of conditions, that within that little atom is enough potential to destroy this whole Minneapolis area, this western area? You see, what is potentially small is explosive in reality. So I was thinking about it. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing. I'm not a real big science guy, but I went onto the Internet because everything's true on the Internet. And I thought, well, you know what? Let's look up how to make an atom bomb, which is not a wise thing to do. There is Big Brother watching. And so 
I decided, no, I won't ask that question. I'll just maybe say, how do you split an atom? Now, you know, that's maybe more of a science thing. So I, I asked that question. I, really, some great answers. But here's one that's really, I even asked some science guys on this. Atoms are held together by strong nuclear force. You can think of it as a, I love this, as a big spring that is compressed. Okay, so that little atom you looked at your hand, it's in there. There's this huge spring that's compressed. If you suddenly release the spring, split the atom, the energy holding the atom together is suddenly released and you get what? This huge explosion. Incredible potential. Now realized. Oh, I continue to read and, and there's this thing that says, now energy, and, and if you put that on the screen, I don't know if you can read this, but you know, I did a, a, a whole class on No, anyway. Um, energy equals mass by the speed of light squared. This whole EM equals MC squared. The energy holding the atom together has appeared as mass in an unsplit atom. And when energy is released, it's a huge number. So I don't pay much attention to this. It's three followed by 16 zeros. And this is the part I want you to read. Which means a tiny bit of change in mass means a huge release in energy. I thought, that's just, that's a natural thing. That's a created thing. Now, I want you to look at your heart for a second. Do you know in your heart, God loves hearts. Hearts are the things that God loves to work with. God is this God with this huge heart. And he, he looks at you. He, he can do this with atoms. And he looks at you and he goes, you know, in you is this spring that's waiting to be compressed. And all it needs is the right condition of faith. That as I, you know, put faith and make room in my heart, I can work in your life. Now, it may not be some explosive thing, but it will be explosive because he'll begin to take the sin and all the things in your character. And if you walk with him and, and you follow him and you in faith really give yourself to him and in a humble way, begin to move into his presence, He will change you. And radically as He changes you, He changes everything around you. He changes your relationship with those close to you. He changes your relationship where you work. He changes all these things over time. As you just open your heart to Him. And the condition, the key is faith. It's trust. The potential is in the present. All He needs is an open heart. All He needs is someone who says, I surrender. I just... Every day, here's my heart. I'm opening it to you. If you can do this with Adams, whoa. A guy in our church, his name's Jim Meyer, who I consider, you know, every once in a while I just can, I joke around with him. I call him my brother. He isn't, but we have last names that are the same. It's a fun little joke for us. Um, about a hundred or so days ago, I was going to say a few days, but it was quite a while ago, he gave me a book about a pilot in World War II, and it's a book written by Robert Vaughn. It's called Touch the Face of God. And it tells the story, a true story of Captain Mark White, who was a B-17 bomber pilot. The year is 1943. Mark White, this B-17 bomber pilot, and his comrades of the 605th Heavy Bombardment Group are over in England. They're struggling to stay alive with every combat mission that they fly. They are just under fire, never knowing whether they're going to come back. They take flak. They have to fly through that. They have Messerschmitts after them. They have Focke-Wulf German fighter planes. I had to say that about 20 times to be able to say that. Well, anyway, um, 
they have these things coming at them to shoot them out of the sky. Mark White had survived 26 missions. At one point, they were supposed to go home after about 10 or something. But because they were just low on pilots, they made the, the mark higher than that. So now he's flying. He's flown 25 and he's getting his 26th mission. They're sitting together with pilots in their crews on their tables. When the, the, uh, the I think it was the colonel... Yeah, the colonel comes forward and he, he announces what the next target is. And, and, and you start hearing from table to table the word Schweinfurt, which is the place they were going to bomb. A strike route never bombed before deep inside Germany that would take them within the range of more than 1,100 German fighter pilots. And they knew as they sat there, the losses would be heavy. And from their base in England, they had to fly over three and a half hours before they reached their IP, which is called the initial point for their bomb run. And as they swung around, getting ready to do their run, the cloudless blue sky became an aerial minefield of exploding cannon shells and rockets, jagged chunks of disintegrating airplanes around them, out-of-control propellers, red-hot splinters of steel. And along with this, the enemy planes were sent to attack them in the midst of the flak. So they have enemy planes, which is really unusual, coming through their own flak to go after these planes. This target was so important. The attack was so intense that the B-17s were exploding and falling around him. The sky was filled, he said, with blossoming parachutes of both Germans and Americans. There were more than a hundred falling below as he looked. His own plane looked like, he said, Swiss cheese from all its hits. His gunners couldn't shoot to protect themselves anymore as they were so busy putting out fires on their plane. Miraculously, though, they made their initial point, made their run, and, and, and dropped their bombs, and they, they made their turn for home. At one point, three of his gunners had run out of ammunition. And the tail gunner looked out helpless as his ball gun station had lost hydraulics and now was jammed, couldn't come up. And as they're going along, limping along, losing altitude, three German fighters lined up behind them to blast them out of the air. Captain Mark White, this B-17 pilot, a man who had no faith, didn't believe in prayer, thought it was a crutch, didn't need God, had no room in his heart for the potential of God in his life, was afraid. I would be, wouldn't you? And there was no hope. There was no way he could outmaneuver the German fighters. And what often happens when you're in those situations, almost unbidden, Mark, the guy who wouldn't pray, began to pray. He said, dear Lord, I need help. I know I haven't come to you before because I thought I could do it alone. Sound familiar? But I know now I can't. And I ask that you... Not let my crew suffer because of my arrogance. I thought about that. I go, how often do others around us suffer because we don't make room for the potential of God in our life because of a lack of faith? Or because we are, you know what, God, I can do it. What a heart I think there. I, I think God's looking down. Oh, but I know I, now I can't and I ask that you will not let my crew suffer because of my arrogance. Please, dear Lord, help me get them through this safely. And if I'm to die, then, Lord, have mercy on my soul. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. He says a strange thing happened. He said, I felt a calmness and confidence in my body. And my heart 
beat slowed and my blood pressure, I could feel it lower and my fear and confusion, which I had moments before, just dropped and faded away. And I knew I was experiencing the presence of God. And so through his intercom, he told his crew, we're all shouting and deeply frightened and confused. And he said it was almost reflexive. He just said, we're all going to be all right. We're going to be all right. He said that. And one of his crew members shot back, I wish I had your confidence, Captain. And within range at that point was an American pilot flying the Air Force's new, its newest plane called the Mustang. He had actually been sent out by himself to find some B-24s who were on another mission. He had been searching for them. He couldn't find them. They didn't show. And he was just about to turn his plane back when he looked below and he saw a lone B-17 way too low in the sky. And then, to his amazement, saw three German planes queuing up for their final attack. The Mustang pilot shoved his throttle into overboost. He fires and takes down two German fighters with one round of shots. And then he goes after the third fighter as that one turned hard to get away because he knew he was in trouble. And he got him on the next round of shots. And, and, and Captain Mark White relates that he looked back. He could see the parachute of that German fighter coming out of the plane and the guy was safe. And they come back. They made talked a little bit. There's a whole story in that because they ended up knowing one another. And it was just anyway. They say goodbye. He is limping along, making his way. As they make their trek back, they're now coming over the English Channel. They're, they're, they're at a point where a couple of the crew members say, should we tell them the bad news? And they go, yeah. And so they tell Captain Mark the bad news, and they tell him the bottom ball gun station's jammed, and they can't get Charlie out. And the bad news is this, too. The landing gear won't go down. They have to land the plane on its belly, which really isn't a good move for Charlie, who's down there in that ball gun station. There's only one maneuver they can do. It's most likely something that would rip the wings off and they would probably end up crashing. They go ahead and vote. All but Charlie votes yes. They all vote, yes, let's do it. We'll risk our lives to save Charlie. It's worth it. So Mark does it and miraculously the ball bounces back into the plane. And it holds together. And they get to the air, the runway. And as Mark lands the plane, parts of the plane tear away. Mark shouts, hold on, we've got no brakes. Using the rudder pedals only, Mark runs the plane the full length of the runway and makes a squealing turn on the perimeter of the track. Now catch that, using the, the rudder pedals only. Mark goes to the chapel, which is probably a good place to go after something like that, right? There is both the captain, who is the group maintenance officer, Captain Gibson, and Sergeant McCurdy, the line chief. They're looking for him. They look for about an hour. They find him. They, they come to him as they meet with Mark. And, and Gibson says to Captain Mark, how were you flying that airplane? And Mark says, what do you mean? How was I flying it? So Gibson says, tell him, McCurdy. So Sergeant McCurdy clears his throat, runs his, hair, his hands through his hair, and he says, there's, there's no way... Mark, there's no way on earth you could have been in control of that plane. All I, all, I mean, every one of the cables to the ailerons, to the elevator, and to the rudder has been shot away. When you move the yoke or the rudder pedals, nothing happens. Well, well, that's impossible, Mark said. I flew that plane. And Gibson says to, with Mark, he says, that's what I told McCurdy. 
I even suggested that you may have had a few strands still connecting them and they didn't separate until the shock of the landing and McCurdy counters. No way, guys. First of all, your cables weren't just broke, they were gone. Whole pieces of them had shot away. And even if there had been a few strands holding them, it wouldn't have mattered because your bell cranks were shot away too. And McCurdy paused and said, looking at Captain Mark, seriously, I don't know who was flying that airplane, Captain, but one thing I know is you weren't. Captain Mark had no idea of the potential of God's presence until he let go, grabbed hold of God, and in faith invited him into his heart. He said, God, you need to take care of this. And there may be this situation this, this evening as you're thinking of Christmas Eve and you may be in a place, it may be your whole life, it may be a segment of your life where you're just going, you know, God, this has been an area that I just, you know, I, I just thought I had the potential and God saying, no, just invite me in. And some of you might be going, you know, I've been inviting God in and I'm just going to tell you like Anna and Simeon, celebrate because the potential of God is in the present. He is here now and he will do what he says he will do. What is will be. That's what Christmas is about, folks. We come in faith and we say. God's here. He's moving. He's present.